0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, listeners. This episode is sponsored by italki. If you're looking for one-to-one lessons with a one-to-one teacher to improve your fluency, your speaking skills, and any other aspect of your English, then italki can definitely help you Uh, it's really convenient they have loads and loads of teachers to choose from it's a very professional service and it's great because ultimately you just end up having english lessons from the comfort of your own home and uh you don't have to go out or mess around with like getting cash out so you can pay the teacher it's all done through the italki platform and remember when you buy some talking time uh italki will send you a voucher for a free lesson to get that offer you need to go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website to get started you're listening to luke's english podcast for more information visit teacherluke.co.uk This is the Rick Thompson Report, with Rick Thompson. Hello listeners, welcome to this new episode of the podcast, which I think is episode 598. And my dad's back on the podcast today to talk about recent things happening in the news, including political things, especially Brexit. We call these episodes the Rick Thompson Report. The last one of these was a few months ago when Theresa May was attempting to get support from all the MPs in Parliament for the Brexit deal that she'd managed to negotiate with EU leaders. But each time she asked Parliament to accept her deal, they voted against it, mainly due to the complications with the Northern Irish backstop. That's what we were talking about before. The date then for Brexit was pushed back to the 31st of October this year. That's Halloween, of course, subject to an agreement with the EU that the UK would take part in the EU elections to choose members of the European Parliament. That election happened last week across Europe, and the results are now in. Also, listeners, you must have seen in the news that our Prime Minister, Theresa May, resigned as Prime Minister last week to, to be replaced by a new Prime Minister in July, I think. So what's going on? What were the results of the European elections? Why did uh, Theresa May step down Who might replace her? And what does this all mean for the future of the UK and Europe? This is what we're going to talk about. My dad's with me now. No pressure, dad.
1: Hello, Luke. How are you in that Europe over there?
0: Doing fine today, thank you. You just
1: want to cover all that, do you? Just that. (laughs) Okay, fine. Just everything. (laughs) How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Um, You know, a little bit... uh Uh, anxious about um, what's been going on here uh, over the Brexit debacle and uh, we're going to have a new Prime Minister at some point.
0: Yeah yes interesting times. Uh, We have to start with a weather report on the Rick Thompson report. How's the weather today dad?
1: The weather today is spring-like. There are some uh, showers um, but otherwise it's quite sunny and warm and um, the garden is looking lovely, all the roses are out.
0: Lovely. Showers so typically english yes British. yes
1: in, in the springtime and we're just moving into summer now but uh, it has been dry we're quite welcome to have a few showers around
0: good for the garden yep right then so what's been going on then dad what on earth has okay. been going on okay
1: well the the european election results weren't entirely unexpected there had been a lot of prediction that um the main party blocks uh, would reduce their number of meps and and uh, nationalist parties in certain areas are doing pretty well um and uh, also other parties i mean it's been a m- more of a fragmentation and in some ways um the british result uh, was not untypical uh, it, the same kind of thing happened here but for a different reason um for the overwhelming reason was being whether you're in favor of or against brexit
0: that's the story at home but across europe it's it, it's yeah britain is nationalist parties did well that seems to be an overall trend across europe this year quickly though what what so what is the what are in fact the european elections what is the eu parliament
1: the parliament is um it it sits both in strasbourg in plenary session and in brussels there are two chambers um, which is a bit extravagant, but, uh, there you have it. Wait, it's, wait,
0: it's the same, it's the same people sitting in the two chambers. They just, sometimes they're in Strasbourg, sometimes they're in, uh, Brussels.
1: Yeah, they have a, a four day session nearly every month in Strasbourg where they, uh, that's where they take votes to legislate on things. And in Brussels, they call them mini plenaries. They have two day sessions there. And that's basically as a convenience. Brussels has become the center of everything European and trekking off to Strasbourg doesn't suit some of the MEPs. Um, but, uh, it's 751, I think, MEPs at the moment. If and when Britain leaves, they will, there will be, um, 73 fewer. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that's not true. They'll reallocate some of the seats, um, reducing the number overall and some of the seats won't be filled. Um, so it, it's quite a big parliament and it's, um, uh used to be in the old days the European Parliament was regarded as being a bit of a sh- talking shop but in successive EU treaties you know like uh, the Nice Treaty and and others they gained more power and now it is um, a serious legislative body uh, it it has to pass any laws that apply across the uh, 28 member states um and the parliament also has committees that uh, help to shape those laws taking expert advice and and one thing or another so it's become much more influential
0: democratically elected though of course but, you know as we see with the european elections so representatives from all of the member states 28 member states
1: yes at the moment
0: and um, so there are meps from different regions in each uh, of the 28 states
1: yes it's a rather Curious voting system. Um, the The whole of Europe is carved up into regions, um, and the regions have party lists. So people are asked to vote for a party, and if uh, if party X comes out top, there the first name on their list will be an MEP. And then what happens is that they halve that number of votes, and then see who's come second. Uh, and Wait, if the they, they halve the number they do, of votes, they cut, yeah so oh how can i do this let's imagine mm. that um there are three parties x y and z okay okay and they have lists of potential meps and if party x got uh 10 votes uh, and was the top the highest number of
0: votes not many people voted <laughs> uh, yeah
1: then the f- the first the first person on the list is an MEP okay then the 10 votes are cut in half to five and if they still are the top party another one on that list gets uh, in uh, but if they're not the next person who is top so party y got eight votes their the first person on the list will get so it.
0: wait So the winning. It's
1: proportional representation. And it's done in different ways in different countries. In
0: our country, the winning uh, party. So they've already got one because they came first. Yeah. But then their number of votes gets uh, divided in half, only them. And then we see if that makes a difference. If the second party gets more than half of the first party, the second party gets a seat too.
1: That's right. And then their vote is cut in half, and then we'll see who's top after that okay so it goes down like that until you've filled the number of seats each region has you know got a it depends on the size of the region and in the region i'm in in the Mm. middle of england it's got seven seats so this is different that's that's the de haunt system he was a mathematician in Belgium who worked out um a way of doing uh proportional representation which which is thought to be very fair other countries do it a slightly different way
0: okay this is different to the first past the post system that we have in the uk's parliament you know the uk's national uh, uh, general election which is basically where the 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 party that gets the most votes gets the seat
1: that's right and and many people complain about that uh, they say it's an old fashioned system and think of all the people who voted and uh, came second and third they are not represented at all
0: yeah for example if the if the conservative party gets, let's say uh, 40% as a hypo- as argument. a hypothetical they get 40% that then that becomes one Conservative MP, but in his constituency or her constituency, there might be sixty percent who didn't vote for that person. Correct, right? So, so this is the problem. The
1: post is is thought to be um, an unsatisfactory system,
0: but in in this proportional representation system, it's kind of allows for a lot more variety and arguably more representation in the in the House.
1: It reflects the views of the voters more accurately.
0: Okay, all right then. Um so that's the that's the system. And how many members of Europe the European Parliament does the UK have? Uh
1: I think we've got 73. Okay. 73 MEPs. Um the in in Europe as a whole, they of course have these party blocks when the MEPs are uh elected next week they'll start trading between themselves see who's going to be in what
0: block so the blocks Um, sorry dad the blocks are like um in a sense like political parties at they are like political at a european level they're
1: just blocks of different national political parties so the biggest party and has been for some time is the center-right european people's party this is a european block okay and and angela merkel's cdu is in it uh, and other centre-right parties from other countries are in it. Mm. They um, they suffered in this election somewhat. They lost 37 seats. They've still got 180, and they're still the biggest bloc. Mm-hmm. Um, the Social uh, Democrats, sorry, the Socialists and Democrats, mm. S&D, second biggest, they're down 40, uh, 146. Uh, the people who did better, across this is across the whole of Europe, yeah. are the Liberals. Who jumped up from sixty-eight feet uh, seats to one hundred
0: nine? One thing, is a big increase. One thing: the liberals then are on the left.
1: Yeah, they're left to centre, but they're 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 a very centrist party. Yeah, um, centre left. Yeah, well, they they I don't know. Some of them would argue that they're not left, but they are a centre party. Okay, the nationalists, who of course everybody talks about, uh, particularly in France, where you know um, Marine Le Pen's party actually. Came first in percentage of the vote ahead of Macron. Um, they had fifty eight seats now. Before they had thirty seven. Okay, uh, it's it's a in- interesting uh, increase, but it's still only fifty eight out of um, seven hundred fifty one. Uh, other parties that did well were the Greens. They they went up from fifty two C- MEPs to sixty nine. Uh, so it, things have fragmented. The big big parties: the centre right, centre left, socialists, if you like they've suffered and and the boat's gone in all sorts of different directions
0: so look can we say could we say this then that previously uh there it bulged in the center right if you see what i mean yeah it kind of bulged in the center where like um the the centrist parties on the center right and center left had the majority and now the bulge is just slightly smaller than it was before
1: Yes, people can look at um, a map of the European Parliament. It's it's a hemicycle, you know, uh, like a, a circle, really. Yeah. And they colour in the where the blocks are, and you can see that the uh, the EPP, the centre right block, is still the biggest, uh, and the socialists are the second biggest, but the others have, have coloured in uh, much more significantly, and that's the way they sit. They sit in the chamber. With the centre parties in the middle, and the others going out to the right and left.
0: Okay, I see. All right, then. So, yeah, the general trend has been that yeah, the, the centrists have, have lost a bit, uh, and they've lost lost to parties on the left and the right.
1: Yes, the established parties are being eroded by other parties, including uh, the anti-establishment parties, if you like, the more radical ones. Uh, why this is, a lot of people uh, will speculate. Um, personally, I think that uh, it, it was the two things coming together in recent years. One was the austerity, which is now 10 years old. We've had a decade since the financial crash where all the governments ran out of money, essentially, and had to impose austerity, uh, which has been broadly unpopular, and particularly amongst the uh, poorer parts of society, and they've got fed up. And the the other one was the big um, immigration uh, phenomenon when, you know, wars in the Middle East, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, and in Africa, uh, had uh, lots of refugees trying to pour into Europe, and that has fueled nationalist sentiment and anti-immigration
0: feeling okay all right what about the uk then what happened well
1: what about the uk obviously brexit has dominated the european election campaign here and um the brexit party is only six months old this is the famous nigel farage who invented ukip uk independence party um a few years ago and and never didn't get any mps but um sort of frightened the main parties by taking quite a large share of the vote
0: can i just say sorry one one i've got to fact check something uh alan sked was the the guy who founded it but nigel farage has definitely been the face of ukip for for many years now
1: okay i'm corrected but he was certainly the face of uh, of ukip yeah um he left ukip uh, ukip has kind of dissolved and uh, he decided that since the government had failed to deliver brexit he would reinvent himself as the brexit party whether it's actually a party or not is contentious why um well it doesn't have a manifesto and it doesn't seem to have any kind of party machine so where people are asked to subscribe 25 pounds to be a member of this party but i don't think they have any membership they just pay the money this is probably being contentious and i should say right now that i'm speaking completely personally on this podcast i'm yeah. not doing a kind of bbc independent analysis i'm going to tell you what i think yeah um because uh, i you know i get upset about some of the things these things and um i'm going to tell you what i
0: think i think it's a common criticism of the brexit party which is yeah one of the things being that they're running for election in the europe they, they were running for election in the european parliament but they didn't have any manifesto which Which is very strange when it's not just that it's conventional that a party, before they ask people to vote for them, tell people what they plan to do if they get power by by issuing a manifesto. That's not just conventional. It's also somehow necessary, don't you think, that in order to say to people, look, if you vote for us, this is what we will do. But the Brexit yes, it's Party, the Brexit, extraordinary. the Brexit Party, Nigel Farage really has have said, "No, we do, we're not issuing a manifesto." Why? Because other politicians in the past have not um, have not kept to their promises. So, well, you know, other people <laughs> not keeping their promises is not a justification for not even telling people what you're going to do, is it?
1: No, it isn't. I mean, it is ridiculous that when we've got so many serious issues. Uh, in this country uh, that somebody can say, vote for me. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. I don't actually have any policies uh, about the health service or, uh, you know, homelessness or transport issues or any other issues that people are concerned with. He said, Oh, we'll publish a manifesto after we've got elected. I mean, that's amazing. No, the, 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 uh, the the vote was all about Brexit and, and they had a clearly defined message. We voted in a referendum to leave the EU, uh, this was three years ago now. We still haven't left. You know, we are the party of Brexit. And that was very clear, simple message. But also the, the the other side have uh, have also done quite well in this election. The other side. Um, I'm talking about the Remainers, the people who don't want to leave the EU. Uh, and remember that there were 58 point, uh, what, what was it, 48.1% yeah. in the referendum voted to remain and there are the lib dems liberal democrats who were you know not doing very well uh, in recent years have jumped up um to uh, to gain 16 meps uh, because they are stop brexit party uh, the greens have got 7 meps and they are a we don't want to leave the eu party The SNP, Scottish National Party, is hostile, very hostile to Brexit. They've got three MEPs. And if you look at the way the votes have shared out, if all the Remain parties were combined... It would be level with the Brexit poll. It would be, no, it'd be reflects more. The deep division in the country. It, it might even be more. It be more. There's a there's a well known uh, cephalogist, uh, an expert in elections here called Curtis. He says when you look at it all, it's just fifty okay. fifty. The the split in the country remains pretty much as it was in the referendum, and everybody's got polarized. So the government the government had been a shambles. Been, Theresa May has tried to get a, a deal which she couldn't get uh, through the Parliament. And um, the, the Conservatives have been punished in this election quite extraordinarily. I mean, they've got less than 10% of the vote. Incredible. The uh, Labour Party haven't done much better because nobody knows whether they want to remain in the EU or not. They're sitting on the fence what and you, you can't please everybody.
0: What do you think about that? Do you think, uh, yeah, well, why is Labour so confused?
1: Well, people say it's because their leader Jeremy Corbyn has uh, never liked the EU and is secretly a, a, a Brexiter. I think it's just a bit more political than that. that a lot of Labour MPs will, uh, represent constituencies where there were overwhelming votes to to leave the EU in in that referendum, and um, they they would lose lose their seats if uh, if Labour said, "Right, we're not going to leave." Yeah, um, and uh, so they're caught really. Um, I think that they they're sitting on the fence saying well we might have a referendum we might have another referendum or we might not uh, we want a general election hasn't done them any good at all there's no clarity yeah so that so the people who had an absolutely clear message on Brexit either we're going to leave no matter what on October the 31st or we want a second vote and we're confident that people would realize that they should stay in the EU those are two clear positions um, Labour and Conservatives are all over the place. They are very divided parties.
0: Okay. Now, since we've got, let's say, more Brexiters in the European Parliament representing us, what difference does this make?
1: Well, I don't think it makes an awful lot of difference. I mean, there are quite a lot of UKIP uh, MEPs. UKIP's vote has completely collapsed and been re- replaced by the Brexit Party. Okay. So so the result in in the UK was uh, 29 MEPs from the Brexit Party 16 Lib Dems four Conservatives 10 Labour seven Green three SNP one Plaid Cymru from Wales now you know they 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 are they're part of this nationalist grouping uh, in the parliament but it's still a relatively small group yeah um it what it's do- doing is frightening the Conservative Party and so all the people who are, want to be the next prime minister are kind of um, being a bit Farage-like and saying things like, you know, we must leave no matter what. Um, and this is, uh, to my mind, extremely dangerous because the, the idea of leaving without any kind of a deal on October the 31st uh, would be extremely damaging for the country in most people's opinion, people who know what they're talking about.
0: Right. Right. Okay.
1: So, so we're jumping into the Tory leadership contest here. Yeah. But the the fact that Brexit have done so well in the European elections means that the Conservatives are saying we have to um, take that vote back. Okay. Uh, and the only way they're going to take that vote back is to be very Brexity and say we'll leave no matter what.
0: So we're now talking about the way that uh, the success of the Brexit Party is changing the way that Conservatives are presenting themselves but just before we move on to the the, the leadership, the leadership contest. contest i just wanted to point out there that the story then to be clear the story of the european elections is not huge success for the brexit party although it was a success for them in fact the story is successes on the, on the both sides that remain and leave those parties that presented a clear message on that have done well and the ones in the let's say the ones in the middle or the traditional parties conservative and labor have suffered labor because they weren't clear about uh, uh brexit and Conservative because they have been presiding over this disastrous period where um you know brexit wasn't delivered
1: Yes, yeah. the story is, of course, that triumph triumphed Brexit, uh, the Brexit party. I mean, they've got many more MEPs than anybody else. The, the other part of the story is a disaster for the Conservative party. I mean, their vote collapsed and they, they are down to four MEPs. Um, but as you say, when you look behind those headlines, um, the, the, the growth in, in support for the Lib Dems and the Greens, it shows that there's still a very strong remain sentiment across large parts of the country
0: mm-hmm. yeah okay let's let's talk then about the leadership contest in the conservative party teresa may stepped down did you i mean you obviously you must have seen the video footage of her giving her resignation speech dad
1: of course i did i, I watched it live what did you think well i think she was in a parallel universe and obviously, she she uh, spent her six minutes saying uh, what a great prime minister she'd been and all the achievements. There was, it, it was a pretty short list of achievements.
0: <laughs> some um, of the some um, of the things she listed, <laughs> some of the things she listed as achievements, were not really achievements. No, I agree. Uh, like, but, um, for example, like she talked about Grenfell Tower, which is this tower block in London that burned, uh, that caught fire and burned, and like over seventy people died in the fire. And, you know, arguably one of the reasons why the whole accident happened is because the government hadn't done its job in, you know, making sure that safety standards were being maintained in the building. And it's it's not just that building, like many other buildings that people have argued that the government failed to look after the people living in these kinds of places. And and then, you know, Theresa May, it's just feels so ironic that she's mentioning Grenfell Tower and the way they responded to it as a success
1: Incredible. And of course, she herself behaved, you know, not in the right kind of way. Um, she, she didn't, you know, show any sympathy for the victims, not properly. And she went and congratulated the firemen and then rushed off. And, um, the, uh, the feeling was that she doesn't have that kind of empathy. Uh, she's a very cool woman. And, uh, yes, you're right. Uh, Grenfell, most people would say it was a direct product of austerity that um you know uh buildings done on the cheap local authorities, local councils uh not actually uh you know looking after the building regulations properly, and they would argue that they haven't got any money, so um not a good thing to mention, and in her resignation speech, um you know obviously at the end um she, her voice broke because she loves her country, and she had a little cry the the best thing you could say about. Theresa May's years as prime minister was was that you feel sorry for her. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's her legacy, as far as I'm concerned. Not everyone. She she, she couldn't uh, get the divided House of Commons to agree on any form of Brexit. How, try as she might, and um she didn't have the charisma. She didn't have the vision to find a way through it, and got booted out by her own party the uh, the little cry doesn't doesn't do much for me because before she was the prime minister and i think she was a pretty useless one is that she was the home secretary for many years responsible and presided for presided over many many things yeah. uh, that have damaged people we've seen poverty child poverty increased during that period number of police reduced because of austerity cuts um the hostile environment policy was her response to people's concerns about immigration. Make it much, much more difficult for immigrants to, uh, you know, be accepted.
0: And, um. Yeah, that like, for example, one of the things she did there was there was a van that drove around the
1: famous van the the van
0: that drove around communities with a huge message on it that basically said go home you're not welcome here
1: and it had a picture of handcuffs on it yeah this is this was the home secretary she was a hard right wing home secretary and all this stuff about how she's a caring vicar's daughter doesn't do anything
0: for me exactly yeah so when you see Theresa may crying and the story that is in a lot of the papers or on tv and stuff is like oh how does she feel do you feel sorry for her a lot of people don't really feel sorry for her because there have been plenty of tears uh during her time in office caused by the things that she's done she didn't cry for them those people
1: i'm uh, speaking personally yeah me too you you and i are obviously agreeing on this Uh, others might think we're being very harsh and and being very cruel i don't think so um theresa may certainly tried very very hard to get brexit through yeah um, but she hadn't got a hope uh, for various reasons, the point is that she was part of a what I believe to be a right-wing conservative government, and happily watched the impact of austerity. Um, uh, even and she had actually campaigned not very effectively for the Remain side in uh, in the <laughs> in the uh, referendum. So here she is trying to get us out, um, not very effectively. Um, no, I don't think she'll go down in history very well. She might be regarded as the worst prime minister uh, in modern times. I would put a second to David Cameron.
0: Well, again, you said um, the only thing that you can say for her is that people feel sorry for her. And so, yeah, to an extent, like she was quite unlucky in that she inherited David Cameron's uh, shit show. Let's yes call it. it was
1: what we call a poison chalice. I I don't know whether anybody else could have done it better, but nobody could have done it much worse. And the the um the, the whoever becomes the next conservative leader and by default becomes the prime minister will inherit the same situation. Yeah. Nothing's changed. Uh so in these 3 years, uh the country is still polarized. The um MPs at Westminster are totally divided on Brexit, and um, whoever it is uh, will find they're faced with the same situation.
0: And there are practical issues that uh, we still haven't found a solution to, like Northern Ireland, which is a huge, huge problem.
1: Yes, it's interesting that, that well, it wasn't really talked about much during the, uh, the referendum campaign. Then again, nobody really understood the issues during the referendum campaign. It was all done on silly slogans like take back control, um yeah you know, we've
0: got a lot less control like now. we've
1: lost control yeah. uh anyway um the the northern ireland backstop uh is still there uh as an issue uh, what people um listening to this might say what well, i've forgotten what that is basically there's only one border land border between the uk and the eu and that's in ireland and for ever since the good friday agreement Uh, There has been an open border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, completely open, and lots of people commute across it, and some people even live across it. There are some farms which uh, have the border running through them. Um, And the idea that you would have to have another border uh, is something that nobody wants. Um, You would almost certainly um, inspire a new IRA to come up and see border crossings as targets. And it would be um, a, a huge step backwards in this difficult peace process. Um, so the, the answer to that in the negotiations with the EU was to say, okay, well, we'll have some checks between Northern Ireland and mainland Britain, if you like, in the Irish Sea in between Northern Ireland and England and Scotland. And the, um, the Unionist Party, which dominates in Northern Ireland, uh, wouldn't accept that. Uh, The DUP, the Democratic Unionist Party, um, because they want they don't want anything that suggests that Northern Ireland is in any way different from the rest of the United Kingdom, bearing in mind the backdrop that the Republicans there want a united Ireland. So um, the fact that Theresa May actually took the DUP into some kind of unofficial coalition to get her uh, majority through was a big mistake. Um, so we're now stuck in this situation that um, we don't know where the border will be. Mm-hmm. And if we have a no deal Brexit, uh, then that could inspire checks uh, on the island of Ireland, uh, which would be very bad news.
0: And uh, I mean, you know, we we talk about the Good Friday Agreement, which is um, basically the peace accord that was reached during the 90s. During Tony Blair's government, and the um the the one of the principles of that was that uh, we can only agree peace if the UK government in Parliament doesn't show any preference for one side or the other. Yes, right? it
1: was a it was a it was a recognition that the Republic of Ireland did have some kind of um say about if, uh, affairs in Northern Ireland. There was a sort of joint council, remembering that there are a lot of Republicans living in Northern Ireland. Yeah. And, um, it, the, the peace process was hard won and it was helped enormously by the fact that both the UK and the Republic of Ireland were in the EU. And not just because of the, you know, the physical proximity and the trade uh, in a single market, but also because, um, it, it was an umbrella that, that united, um, Ireland. But, uh, obviously if we leave the EU, that might, um, not be the case
0: mm-hmm. right
1: so there's the so there's a backstop is still an issue that's going to face everybody but there are other issues and um the the uh, there are now eight as i speak eight candidates to be the tory leader the conservative leader and the next prime minister and there probably will be some more and uh, most of the leading candidates are saying well we'll have we must leave we must leave the EU no matter what. And if we can't negotiate uh, a a deal with the MPs, if they can't agree uh, a a deal, well, we'll just leave anyway. And that'll be on October the 31st. And so, you know, that would be what's called a hard or no-deal Brexit and the Northern Ireland situation would be critical. It's not only that. I think it would catapult Scotland into demanding another independence referendum because uh, they voted strongly to remain in the EU and their Scottish National Party is the dominant party in the Scottish Parliament so it could signal the breakup of the United Kingdom it's right. a very serious situation a, a no-deal brexit would be terrible for trade terrible for investment uh, awkward for people who need to travel around easily but it would also have you know I think quite profound Uh, Implications for the UK as a unit.
0: Yeah, great.
1: (laughs) Yes, it's good, isn't it? This this goes on and on, and it doesn't get any better. Can we talk? So uh, you want to know about Boris?
0: Well, yeah, in a in a second. Like just (laughs) briefly, some of my listeners will be thinking, why did Theresa May resign? Because they still don't really know. Um, I mean, we know that she failed to get her Brexit deal through on a number of occasions. Was it three or four times? it was three times three times she tried and failed and so basically it was like right your time's up on your bike
1: the main reason that the conservative party told her she had to go and she lost all her support in the cabinet yeah um was that um that nobody liked the deal uh it was trying to please everybody and please nobody this was a deal negotiated over about two and a half years and signed off between her and the chief negotiator, Michel Barnier, but she couldn 't get it through the House of Commons by miles because uh the the hard brexiteers weren't going to settle for the backstop, and they didn't want us to be uh, in a close trading relationship with the eu and the remainers um were absolutely uh, insistent that there should be a second referendum at least
0: so basically for the for the hard brexiters the deal was not brexity enough and for the remainers it was too brexity correct right okay so there you go and so the tories were like right so you've had a shot out and
1: yes they'd been calling for her head for some time and she'd lost quite a lot of ministers. People kept resigning, left, right, and centre. I think yeah. it was a record number. Was it twenty nine ministers over her tenure actually resigned?
0: <laughs> I can't say the number, but it, it was certainly a <laughs> lot. Like, it was like it was just there were so many that in the end, you're like, oh, you know, what's in the news? Oh, another ministers resigned. Okay, anything interesting? You know, um, so so the if we talk about the candidates, then you mentioned eight. It could be more as we move forwards. But um, so who who are the front runners?
1: Okay. Well, if if you. Uh uh, listen to the bookmakers who take take bets on these things the bookmakers are the ones um,
0: who who yeah they'll they they offer uh, betting odds so yes, you can that's you, right. you literally can bet as well you can place bets on this i think you can yeah you can place bets I on almost anything i think it might anything.
1: be a bit foolish um because in past conservative leadership elections the favorite has never won mm. um you 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 have to remember that um the way this is, uh, is decided is extremely weird. I mean, uh, it's, it's very unsatisfactory in my opinion, but this is all done in within the conservative party. The rest of us don't get any say in who the next prime minister is going to be. Mm-hmm. The conservative party has this system where. Everybody puts their name forward by a certain date. Wait,
0: so you say everybody, do you mean every...
1: Well, the people... No, the the people who want to be considered, who are candidates... Yeah. They have to get a bit of support. It's no difficult to get support, so that they have their nomination. They're nominated. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And there are eight people nominated so far. And the nominations, I think, close on the 10th of June. Um, And then what happens is the MPs have a series of votes and the person who comes bottom, their votes are redistributed. They have another vote then. And the person who comes bottom is eliminated and then they have another vote. Oh, this God. is the MPs, the Conservative Party MPs in Westminster. So have they a series of votes.
0: How much time are they going to spend doing <laughs> it? A lot
1: of time on it. Um it it will go on until mid July, maybe the second half of July, they'll finally come up with it. But before that, once they've got down to the final two, okay, <laughs> yeah, then the Conservative Party members around the country, the people who are members of the Conservative Party, they have an election on the final two and that whoever wins that one is the new Conservative leader and Prime Minister.
0: So what is stopping everyone just joining the Conservative Party in order to influence the outcome?
1: Well, there's an idea. Imagine that. Uh, I don't know. They've probably got a rule that says you can't do that. You've got to have been a member for a while, otherwise it would be open to
0: abuse. Yeah, okay. Uh,
1: And how many members of the Conservative Party are there? Well, they've been losing membership quite a lot during Theresa May's um, reign. And I think someone said there's 120,000 members of the Conservative Party, maybe less. And um, if they don't all vote, let's say 100,000 people are going to decide on the final two top two candidates
0: who's going to be our Prime Minister. So just to be clear, just for the listeners who who aren't as familiar with all this stuff. They're probably all so, asleep by now. So there's there's the, <laughs> the, in terms of voting for the candidates, the first round of votes, the eliminations, that's done by Conservative MPs. So MPs. elected Conservative uh, politicians who are in the House of Commons. They're the ones who vote at the beginning. And then when you they narrow it down to two people, then all of the members of the public who are members of the Conservative Party across the country, those are the ones who vote for the final two. Okay. Yes. Do you want to make any predictions or or talk about... Well, I'll I'll
1: tell you what the bookmakers are saying. They make Boris Johnson the favourite. Yeah. Uh, He is clearly um, favourite with the uh, members of the Conservative Party around the country. Okay? Now, the the people who are members of the Conservative Party are kind of committed um, Conservatives, obviously, And uh, they are, I would say, overwhelmingly to the right of the party. And they think Boris is a tough guy who will tell those Europeans what's what and stop messing about. And um, they also quite like him because he's a bit of a personality. Um, So the, the general feeling is if Boris Johnson gets into the final two, he would probably when the the members vote. Okay. So there's already a movement going on in Westminster called Stop Boris. Really? Which is yes, where I am quoting people who know what they're talking about who could report these things from Westminster and, and obviously uh, there're a lot of people who are extremely dismayed at the idea of Boris Johnson being their party leader and their uh, and the prime minister for a whole number of reasons. And um so they will be tactically voting and trying to come up with two candidates who beat him and get into the top two. So the MPs are working out how who they should vote for to stop Boris. Okay. He's one of them. He's the favorite according to the bookies.
0: Can we just make a comment about Boris Johnson that, that people will know him he um because of the way he looks, you know, he's kind of like kind of a bit overweight. He's got this messy He's
1: changed the way he looks. He's he's been planning this for a while. He's lost some weight and cut his hair. So
0: is is he ha- is his hair all neat and tidy now?
1: No, it's never going to be neat and tidy, but it's not quite as long and, and f- messed up like he used to cultivate it.
0: Right um but the criticisms of of boris johnson so so i mean you know on the positive side he's obviously very intelligent and people say that he's a tough no no nonsense does anyone call him no nonsense i don't know but people seem to think that he would be a good tough negotiator but what about the criticisms of boris johnson
1: he's a personality the criticisms are very very harsh i mean people say he's a liar Uh, He's untrustworthy.
0: Why do they say Um, that?
1: Well, uh, he, um, during the referendum campaign, the Brexit referendum campaign, he was the man who uh, inspired the big red bus to go around the country and written on the bus was, £350 million a week goes to the EU, we would spend that money on the National Health Service. Now, it's actually a lie. Um, if If you do the net figure, how much we get back in agricultural payments, cohesion funds, and in, in the the rebate, which uh, Margaret Thatcher negotiated, it's actually less than half that amount. Okay, And there is a private prosecution going on at the moment. Boris Johnson might even have to appear in court. He might, he might not. But some people have crowdfunded some money and they are prosecuting him for, I think the phrase is something in public office, um, uh, Mm. Uh, abuse of public office. Let me see um, on that on that uh, that very subject. It's not just the bus. I mean, he was a disastrous foreign minister, foreign secretary for a short while um, before um, I think Theresa May sacked him or did he resign? I can't remember which. I think he was sacked um, on a number of fronts. Very very undiplomatic. Um, uh, very ill informed. Um, and, uh, didn't do our reputation abroad any good at all. Uh, he shot his mouth off and managed to get, uh, a, a woman who's imprisoned in Iran, um, still imprisoned in Iran, um, instead of trying to get her out. Uh-huh. Um, the, the, um, other things, of course, are his private life is a mess. Um, he, uh, has, uh, various, had various affairs and, um, and, uh, uh, and this is a man who is supposed to be leading, uh, hopes to be leading uh, the Conservative Party, which has always espoused so-called family values. Uh, when he was the mayor of London, um, he didn't do an awful lot. He wasted a lot of money on a vanity project about a green bridge over the Thames, which was never going to happen, wasted a lot of money. He actually bought some water cannon, Um so that people wouldn't riot, uh, never used, never would be used, and the cabinet would never agree to them being used. And In the end, they had to be given away, wasted money. Mm. Uh, He's a man of ill uh, judgment, uh, very, very interested in himself. And people haven't forgotten that when David Cameron called the referendum, everyone was waiting to see which side Boris would campaign on. He had always said as mayor of London how important it was uh, for us to be members of the EU. He spoke eloquently about the impact on the city if we left the EU and everything else. And uh, right at the last minute, he he announced on his doorstep that he was going to campaign for leave. The reason for that was that he saw an opening. He thought that if he led the leave campaign, it might win. And -hmm. it did. Uh, and uh, it's you know, his, his reputation is one who's he's interested in only one thing and that's boris johnson
0: yeah i mean in summary um,
1: unprincipled uh untrustworthy untruthful uh that's the pr- next prime minister
0: mm. yeah, i mean i've i've I wrote in order to try and summarize what people have said about him at best he's an entertaining buffoon and at worst he's an untrustworthy self-serving narcissist and i'm not the first person to use those words that language this is these are words that people do use when they're talking and about the Boris johnson and people
1: inside the conservative party use them quite quite significant people so i mean if he did become uh, the prime minister i think you'd see uh, yet more defections from the conservative party some members couldn't stand it uh, and certainly uh, he'd have difficulty with some of the mps he's the favorite and he is saying oh, we immediately uh theresa may announced she was resigning he was i think at some conference in switzerland paying him a lot of money i assumed to turn up and um uh, he he immediately said we will leave uh deal or no deal we will leave. So he's, he's happy to see us leave with no deal, despite the fact that the leaders of industry, the leaders of the city, the financial people, um, the uh, trade organizations, you know, like the British hauliers, the people who, you know, do lorry transport, and everybody, they, and, and the agriculture people, they all are saying, the last thing in the world we want to do is leave without a deal. We have to have a reasonable departure and have a good relationship with the EU in the future. He's not saying that. He's saying, we'll just leave. And uh, he's not the only one amongst the leadership contenders. Uh, so is a guy called Dominic Raab, who for about five minutes was the Brexit secretary before he resigned.
0: There's the famous uh, quote of Don- Dominic Rabb, which is where he's talking, you know, doing some kind of speech. And at one point he says, "Oh yeah, apparently we um, we, what was it? We we, Dover, we actually Dover. we actually rely on the Dover-Calais crossing a lot more, uh, a lot more than I realised. It's like, I didn't what do you mean how you important how it was? How could you not realise how important it was? <laughs> this is the one that has seventeen thousand
1: trucks going through it each day, or something. Yeah. Um. So there's Boris Johnson, Dominic Raab, both who who uh, you know left Theresa May's cabinet." Uh, another one who uh, resigned is called Esther McVeigh. Uh, she is another hard Brexiter. And Andrea it um, is who uh, is – well, what can I say? She was the leader of the commons. This is the kind of um, – the member of the cabinet with the least important job. You know, she doesn't have a department. Huh. And she's, a, she's another one who um, thinks we must leave at any cost. Uh, And the other four are called Rory Stewart, who's quite a bright young man, Michael Gove um, and Jeremy Hunt, who's currently the foreign secretary and Matt Hancock, who I think is the health secretary. I lose track. Mm -hmm. Um, And and there probably will be some more. Um, The stop, if the stop Boris thing is going to happen, I would think that uh, Michael Gove is probably favorite. uh, And, or jeremy hunt oh my god but, but jeremy <laughs> jeremy hunt um probably can't do it because he uh, he also uh, campaigned for uh, remain and now he's had a conversion you know uh like in in the bible he saw a shining light on the road and decided he's suddenly a lever is he the only person
0: in the world who's converted <laughs> from remain to leave <laughs>
1: Yes, I think he probably is. But Boris Johnson got there first. Um, So so they're a strange collection. The the, the newspapers are basically saying, um, you know, what a crowd. Is this the best we can do? Uh, No one seems to have any principles uh, and all that. Uh, We will wait and see. Um, Whoever becomes the prime minister is going to be saddled with the same problem uh, and they won't be able to get the house of commons to agree on anything
0: oh my god it's almost entertaining in its horror
1: yes it, it is horror yes um and it, it it's also rather dispiriting to think what the rest of the world thinks when they're looking at the uk mm. uh, certainly in in uh, in europe they're completely fed up with all this and um the idea that they'll extend the deadline yet again i think is fanciful i i think they've run out of patience and and if it is a no deal brexit on october the 31st i think they'll as they say bite the bullet because it will affect you know people affect particularly the people we trade with so closely like the netherlands and and the republic republic of ireland and france and spain they will be damaged if we have a no deal brexit and they don't know what to do with their tomatoes but the the fact is that they've they've run out of patience and they'll they'll live with it
0: yeah i see um uh, you're not really in the game of making predictions but do you have any predictions about uh about brexit as far as as far as we can see at this point it's either remain or or no deal isn't it i mean but and it's no, no it's that's actually no the way deal it looks no, deal no right that now.
1: that's the way it looks at the moment it's either we crash out or we don't leave at all and not leaving at all i think would require a second referendum And how we would get to the point where the Commons would vote in a second referendum, I'm not entirely sure. So at the moment, no deal is probably the favourite outcome.
0: We're we're not going to have another general election because whoever takes over from Theresa May is not going to make the same mistake that Theresa May did, which was, hey, let's capitalise on our popularity right now and let's have a general election that's what she did before the snap general election and it, and it backfired it certainly and, backfired and that's, and she that...
1: lost her overall majority and, and went she... into a coalition with the dup in northern ireland
0: which kind of messed th- everything up it but, but messed the, things up a lot. Yeah, the tories there's no way they're going to have a general election now
1: i think that that the only way we'd have a general election if it was forced upon them how um and well labor the opposition party would call a vote of no confidence Mm. in the government. And um, they'd have to win that by uh, seducing some of the um, uh, conservative party moderates. Uh, You know that several of them left and joined this new group uh, called, an independent group called change. Uh, They did badly in the European elections, but there are one or two others that might defect. Uh, there may be some people who would abstain, who knows uh, it 's difficult to see how it would be forced and as you and you 're right i don 't think the new prime minister would call an election because the Conservative Party fortunes are pretty low at the moment. Um, there will be calls for whoever it is to to legitimize their position. I mean the opposition parties will all say well we didn 't vote for you. nobody voted for you apart from the Tory faithful so um you know, why don't you have a general election to justify your position? I, I can't see it happening.
0: No, neither can I. Uh, and also, because the 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 clock is ticking. I mean, let's say July we get our new prime minister, and uh, the the deadline is the thirty first of October when we when we leave. Um, I mean, it, a lot of things would have to happen between then and then for uh, for us to remain. For example, we, there would have to be a vote of no confidence, which would be lost by the government, then a general election, which would have to be won by the Labour Party, I think, or some other remaining... Or, and the Labour Party would have to sort out its views. Uh, it uh, would, of, it uh, would
1: have to probably a, go into coalition uh, with the Lib Dems, yeah, things like that. A,
0: a pro-referendum uh, uh, government would have to uh, take office. Then there would have to be all the administration of a second referendum... And that would the it would be incredibly important to get it right to get the right question on the ballot paper and to have it all um uh, like secure um from um cheating and malpractice and all that sort of thing and uh then um it would have to be agreed that article fifty would have to be rescinded all before the thirty first of October and this is also. During the summer holidays and stuff, indeed, and back to school—the back to school period and all that kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, I find it very hard to believe that we're going to get to that point. It's
1: dangerous to predict anything in this saga; it really is. Um, but uh, I think at the moment, reaching October the thirty-first with no uh, no agreement is still entirely possible. Uh, as for who the new leader will be, well, I've said that. Boris Johnson is the bookmaker's favourite, but if I had £5 to bet on this, I might put it on
0: Michael Gove. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Could be the least worst. (laughs) Well, one one thing's for sure. There will be drama as things move towards the 31st of October. The the story's not over. There's going to be more stuff happening.
1: I'm afraid there is. I'm afraid there
0: is. Oh my goodness! Watch this space, listeners. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> it's going to be an. End. I tell
1: you what. There are so one or two sort of good little things about the European elections. First of all, the um, the number of people who voted was quite significantly up um, across Europe. The turnout, I think, was fifty one percent. Where it might not sound like a lot, you know, half people don't vote, but in European elections, the voting has never been very strong, and I think it 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 went up so people are getting more interested. Um, it may be that it was the uh, the fringe parties, if you like, the anti-establishment parties who brought their people out to vote. Uh, another one is that, that some of the parties that have made gains uh, seem to me to be very sensible. Uh, it's good to see the Green Party doing well. Um, in some countries, the Greens have had a presence. In other countries, they really haven't. And I think that's probably because of the current... Um, climate emergency. Um, There are several environmental emergencies which have popped up kind of in parallel and they're connected. So there's a biodiversity loss emergency. There's a polluted air, air pollution emergency. Wait,
0: sorry, what does the biodiversity loss actually mean?
1: That's wildlife. It's the fact that, so there was a United Nations report not so long ago which was very well researched which which talked about the number of species we're losing and how um, you know, in the next, whatever, 50 years, you might lose half the species on the planet if we continue to do what we're doing. Um, so that's uh, regarded as the biodiversity emergency yeah. um, obviously climate change has now become recognized as being one of the biggest threats to us in the long term and a lot of young people like the demonstrators and the school kids on strike, they are showing that they're complete they're very very concerned about it and probably frustrated. Um, the Euro- European Union has actually got a good record on environmental action. Uh, you know, it has got a number of directives on all these things, uh, air quality, water quality, biodiversity protection, uh, and renewable energy, big switch into renewable energy, ambitious plans. They're spending our money on trying to provoke that to happen. And it's the one area that EU policy is regarded as being leading the world on environmental action. So, you know, the Greens, I think, are probably gained a little bit because of that atmosphere. Uh, and I think it's quite good that that uh, you know there will be 69 green MEPs in the new parliament and that's uh, that's more than the nationalist parties.
0: Okay. That's and a- so
1: I think that you know it's not all bad and um
0: every cloud, the- the silver every lining. cloud has a
1: silver lining uh, except over here in the UK <laughs> I can't see one at the moment.
0: Just grey clouds. No no silver linings there. Um, so, shall we talk about sport for five to ten minutes at the end?
1: Oh, I don't know, about five to ten minutes. Go on, We've been talking minutes. a long time. Go on, then, just... Uh, I Just well, obviously, uh, there's a lot of sport going on, and um, it's uh, the UK is at least doing well in the sport. Well, there's cricket. But There's cricket. The cricket World Cup comes around every four years. This is the one day game uh, where each knockout game or round is played in a day, and uh, it's it's good fun and it's happening um here in the uk so the world cup is is about to start and the favorites on recent form are england yay so yay but but there are some very very good cricket teams people who are listening to this may say cricket i must remind you that cricket is the second biggest spectator sport in the world after football thanks india thank you india uh, and Pakistan yes and Bangladesh absolutely uh, and Sri South Lan- Africa Sri Lanka and uh, yeah and Australia and New Zealand yeah and, and um, other places and some of these teams are really really good so it's going to be a, a close close contest okay so we've got the World Cup yeah the football of course I think it's everybody must know now that the two European club competitions English clubs are in the final both of them both both finalists in both competitions so we have four English clubs Uh, Coming up on the 1st of June, it's the European Champions League final uh, to be played in Madrid and it's between Liverpool and Tottenham.
0: Can you just try and tell us a sort of very brief story of why those two matches were so incredible? I just want to capture it. I just want to capture the amazement (laughs) of it.
1: I'm I'm a Liverpool supporter. Mm hmm. I've always liked the way they play, attack, attack, and with great flair. And they haven't won a major trophy for a while. 2005? Something like that. They have a fantastic season. I mean, in any other season, they would have won the Premier League by miles. Unfortunately, there was this team called Manchester City around at the same time. And these two slugged it out to win the Premier League and Manchester City just won every game in how was it, 14 in a row or something and uh, were unstoppable. Uh, and Liverpool played really well, but their consolation is that they get to the European Champions League final. That's a big one. And, um, of course, in the semifinal, which was a two-leg affair, they had to go off to the mighty Barcelona. And uh, Barcelona played brilliantly and they won 3-0 in the first leg. So it looks like game over. If Barcelona scored just one in the second leg back in Liverpool at Anfield, Liverpool would have had to score five to get through.
0: Five and, and concede none. Because
1: on, on the away goal rule, you know, if Barcelona score one, Liverpool would have to score five. And, uh, and concede none. Well, what we must know by now that Liverpool won 4 nil. Yeah. They stopped them scoring and they scored the four goals they needed. And, um, I mean, they were phenomenal. Uh, nobody beats Barcelona 4-0. Um, <laughs> so to get to, the, get to the final in that way, I know they were absolutely brilliant. And I was listening on the radio. I wasn't watching it on the TV. I could hardly hear the commentary because of the incredible noise. You know, Anfield's Liverpool crowd are famous for singing. They sang and sang and sang from beginning to end. Incredible.
0: Yeah. And I think um, partly it must have been that the Barcelona team got kind of spooked by the crowd, right?
1: I think they must have been. Um, You know, once Liverpool had scored two... They were getting rattled because, you know, if Liverpool scored another, it went into extra time, penalties, all that kind of stuff. And they must have realised that, hey, this, this could go all wrong and started getting nervous. And they lost concentration. Liverpool's fourth goal was brilliant. Uh, a young 20-year-old Liverpool fullback uh, was going to, you know, Liverpool had a corner and he was going to leave the corner for the usual corner taker. And then he suddenly realised that the Barcelona players had got their back to him because they thought the corner wasn't going to get taken yet. And he just turned around and swept the ball into the penalty area and it got clanged into the net first time by an unmarked player.
0: I mean, it was brilliant. Because the Barcelona team... were not
1: They'd lost their concentration. They thought he was leaving the corner for somebody else to take. So they turned their back and started, you know, talking and, and he just suddenly turned around and pinged it into the penalty area and there was... Origi, was it?
0: I can't remember. I don't know.
1: Just knocked it in first time. And they suddenly realised they'd lost the European Cup.
0: Oh, God. Yeah. And Anfield went completely bonkers at that point.
1: The noise was amazing.
0: Incredible.
1: Emotional. Anyway, Emotional. and Tottenham did almost as well. Yeah. You know, they, they, in the first leg, they were, you know, looked like they were down and out against Ajax. And um, they they scored the three goals they needed.
0: In the second half. In the second half. Yeah.
1: So it was great excitement. And the other one is the Europa League. Europa League is not quite as prestigious, but the finalists of the Europa League final coming up on Wednesday will be Chelsea and Arsenal. Yeah, All London
0: affair. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's... And, and of course, Man, yeah, C- and Man then, City. Then Man City as well. Uh,
1: Lewis Hamilton is um, winning all the Grand Prix, Remember? Yeah. 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 Um, what else are we doing well at? Not tennis. <laughs> not not We're tennis. We're no good
0: at tennis. No. Uh, I think that's probably... There must be something else.
1: So there's a little bit of boasting about how, at least in Brexit land, at least we can play football and cricket.
0: Yeah. The irony being, of course, that Liverpool, the manager is... Where is he from? Klopp? Is he Dutch? Yes. Yeah.
1: No, he's German. He's German. He's German. All right.
0: Yeah. Okay, German. And, yeah, all the players are from all over the world. And... <laughs> They're right.
1: all from Liverpool now.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, dear. Well, Mo Salah, good Liverpool name. Oh, yeah, Mo Salah. Matt Salah, Salah. I don't know how they say yes, it. That's in a Liverpool, Liverpool. accent. I right, like Mo. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good it's, one. It's Mo from, from <laughs> Gaston. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay, so we've talked a bit about sport. We've done the weather. We've done the news. We've done the sport. I think that's it. That's it, isn't it, Luke? I think
0: so. All okay,
1: right. well, I, I hope your your six hundredth podcast is a yeah. really good one coming up soon.
0: Yeah, no That's pressure, great. no pressure on that at That's all. Great, six uh, hundredth episode. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm just going to live stream on YouTube and ramble in the way that I normally do. I hope that people uh, enjoy gonna it. They're going to
1: watch you rambling.
0: They're going to watch me as well as listen to me. But they'll be able to ask me questions. God knows what right. kind of questions I'll be getting. I don't know, but I'll just take it as it comes and see what happens. It's going to be interesting. I just hope that we have no technical difficulties because that would be incredibly annoying. Yes, Um, it would, wouldn't it? But uh, yeah, it's just going to be fun. I mean, uh, you know, just going to be a laugh just to let people ask me questions and talk to them.
1: Good. Okay, well, I'm going to leave you now.
0: Okay, right. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you too, Dad. And let's do goodbye together because that way we can just keep this short and sweet. There's no need for me to say anything else at the end. So listeners, thank you for your your attention all the way through these long episodes. Thank you so much. And leave your comments on the page for the episode. We'd like to know your thoughts and things like that. So feel free to to write your thoughts in the comments section. Otherwise, I'll speak to you again in the next episode. My dad will speak to you again at some point in the future when the next thing happens in Brexit land. But for now, it's just time to, to wish everyone farewell. So do you want to join me in doing that, Dad? Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, we'll speak, speak to you next time. But for now... Goodbye! Bye! 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.
1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription... You will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash info